You had it right, comrades. You're listening to Workers Power on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. My name is Hannah and I am joined in the studio by my lovely comrade Jackson. I thought I was going to be in here alone today, but things are looking a bit better with the whole COVID situation in Mianjin. So Jackson's here. Yay. Hey, Jackson. Hello. <laughs> uh, thank you to Artcut for another wonderful show. Today we have plenty of workers action and we'll be finishing off with the world famous scallywag of the week. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which we broadcast, the Yagara and Turrbal people. This land was stolen, never ceded. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We also acknowledge all First Nation comrades listening today. We stand in solidarity with First Nations people in their struggles for recognition, reparation and land rights. We live and benefit on stolen land. It's time to pay the rent. And now it is time to jump into some First Nation workers' action. What have you got, Jackson? Yeah, so this story uh, is about sexual assault. So if that is troubling to you, tune out for like, let's say, 10 minutes to be safe. Um... Yeah, uh, so this is from Sarah Collard at NITV. The Tasmanian Aboriginal community is calling on the state government to review strip searching after a teenager had her clothes cut off by police in the Hobart CBD three weeks ago. A 17-year-old Aboriginal teenager was left traumatised after being strip-searched over a minor offence in Hobart three weeks ago. The Tasmanian Aboriginal Centre, who is supporting the 17-year-old girl and her family, said it was extremely concerning. Nala Mansell, a spokeswoman for the TAC, said the girl was stopped by police while trying to catch a bus home, but due to strict bail conditions, was banned from Hobart City Centre. She said the teenager was left shaken and traumatised over the forced strip search after she refused to comply with requests to remove her clothing. It was, com- it was completely traumatic, the Palawa woman said. They held her down and cut her clothes from her body. It's disgusting and a complete violation of the rights of children and young people. Shame. Miss Mansell said she was meeting with state politicians to ensure the recommendations of a recent review into Tasmania's strip searching laws was a priority. There are concerns the incident could strain the relationship between Tasmanian indigenous communities and the police, Ms. Mansell st- said. Our people have a long history, a long-standing history of distrust with the police, and this just further destroys any type of relationship. The Tasmanian opposition is urging an independent inquiry to be held into the strip search of the teenager. Labor Minister Jen Butler said in a statement that she was deeply disturbed by the allegations and said strip searches should cease. Every Tasmanian hearing these confronting allegations today should be horrified, Miss Butler said. This is simply not acceptable in modern Tasmania, or any Tasmania for that matter, as that's my personal comment. And it undermines all the good work of other police officers. Children and young people sh- <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's a... That's a joke. <laughs> Uh, children and young people should not be stripped such at all and the state government should step in according to Nala Mansell. We are calling on the government to put in some type of measure to make sure those recommendations are adhered to and that the number of children being stripped searched in custody is at level zero. She said the last year the Tasmanian Tasmanian Children's Commissioner Leanne McLean 
recommended that routine strips such as of children in custody be scrapped and that vulnerable young people be better protected. The Assistant Commissioner of the Tasmanian Police, Adrian Bodnar, said they ensure all young people are treated appropriately. Police take very seriously their obligations and responsibilities in relation to all people in police custody, including (laughs) Aboriginal people and youths, he said in a statement. Tasmanian police said the teenager was treated fairly and appropriately. The approval of the detention of the youth to the Hobart Reception Prison was approved was provided by an inspector of police in line with policy regarding Aboriginal people and youth in custody. A spokesperson for the Tasmanian government said that the incident with the Aboriginal teenager didn't breach police procedures. How, how does that work? They cut the clothes off her. Sorry to interject, but anyway, continue. Well, it's the police procedures don't actually take into account people's dignity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, They were subject to a personal search to ensure the safety of the individual and others. The search was conducted in accordance with all applicable Tasmania prison service policies and procedures. They said in a statement, the Department of Justice said that draft legislation that is currently being proposed ensures strip searches are undertaken as needed for safety reasons. The amendments are intended to minimise any associated traumas, distress or harm in relation to the searches and conducted of such as conducted of youth in custodial facilities in Tasmania, it read. The draft bill provides a consolidated and consistent power to search a youth in custody in in custodial facilities or in transit between facilities when there are reasonable grounds that the search is necessary and for a legitimate purpose. What an absolute joke. So they think, yeah, basically their policies and whatnot say that they can do this and they do do this. Um, And I could speak from from personal experience as a young teenager uh, in juvie and yeah they do the full strip search and they make you bend over and all of that and as a teenager as a young person or as anyone really but particularly as a young person is just incredibly traumatizing just to know that these people can make you do this hmm. yeah it's yeah disgusting stuff so yeah Stuff the police. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they need it's a, a. It's a horrifying practice, and it shouldn't happen to anyone. No, no it shouldn't happen what. to anyone, especially young, vulnerable people. Um, yeah, let's get rid of the cops, and at the very least, let's force them to change these hob- horrible policies and procedures which are traumatizing young people. All right. Well, you're listening. Did you have anything else to say on that? Uh, well. Yeah, we talked about that, but it's also just a very clear example of how police are racist and act in a racist yeah, yeah, way. Yeah, they don't actually care about Aboriginal people. No, they mm. just thought, oh, well, like, we can do this, we can get away with this. And yeah. Yeah, that's a very important point. And our next story is regarding Jabugai traditional owners who say the announcement that Japukai Cultural Park will, will close was poorly handled and undertaken with a lack of regard for the community. And this story is by Kira Jenkins by from NITV again. Uh, Chipukai Cultural Park has been operating in far north Queensland for more than 30 years, but has been closed since March 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, in a move that has left former staff, co-founders and the community devastated, the Board of Directors has announced it will not reopen. 
Co-founder David Hudson said that when he heard the announcement, it was like his heart was torn. It was gut-wrenching, he said. I was very disheartened, very saddened by that news. In a statement announcing the closure, Japukai director Konji Wolvart said the decision wasn't made lightly or quickly. We have been seeing a declining patronage for many years. Chapukai has considered various options to continue to revitalise and grow the operations. However, the business has remained, continued to remain marginal in the face of a challenging tourism market, he said. COVID-19 has compounded these economic challenges as it has for many industries and sectors. We are, we are proud of the history of Jipukai, which is seen as an icon of Indigenous tourism in far north Queensland and has contributed to so much, so much to the sector. The closure has been slammed by traditional owners, who say the announcement was poorly handled and is symptomatic of the lack of regard for and engagement with Jibugai traditional owners. William Duffin, the chairperson of Badaji, who owns half of the land where Jibugai is situated, said Indigenous Business Australia, IBA, owns the park and needs to be held accountable for the handling of its closure. During IBA's 12 years of ownership at Jipukai, they have failed to build capacity, achieve financial sustainability or maintain their assets, he said. Furthermore, furthermore, they have blatantly disregarded our cultural coordination agreement and failed to consult with traditional owners, achieve employment targets and present Jipukai culture with integrity. But we believe there was a solution ahead. COVID was an opportunity for IBA to transition the business, to pivot the product and framework. Yet IBA has chosen to use COVID as a cover to close the business without even allowing us to speak with staff about our future plans. Dennis Hunter was a dancer at Chapukai for 20 years. He said that the treatment of staff through the closure has been appalling. The simple fact that IBA chose to close, chose to make the announcement public before had before staff had time to meet with their families was a great insult to the cultural legacy and sensitivities of Chipukai, he said. Co-founders Don and Judy Freeman said they also blame IBA's mismanagement for Chipukai's demise. The business lost its sense of creativity, Don Freeman said. Chipukai up until that point was a constantly regenerating creative enterprise and not just in its presentation on a day-to-day basis, on every level. In terms with its relationship with the tourism industry, with the community, the Freemans say IBA forced them out of their interests in 2009 and the business went downhill from there. We would really hold them to task on the way they managed the operation from that day forward, Judy Freeman said. It has annually lost money. The heart and soul of the performances was ripped out of it and I think COVID-19 may have just been the final nail in the coffin. Miss Freeman said she was devastated by the announcement of Chipukai's closure after 33 years of business. It's like you watch your child grow up over all these years, nurturing it and loving it and see it just destroyed, she said. In a statement, IBA Executive Director Sean Armistead said their approach was taken to ensure the best welfare of Chibukai's employees. Across the country, IBA is committed to respecting and working with communities in the development of a large number of Indigenous tourism investments, he said. We are proud of the many successes we have helped to build. Chibukai will continue to work with the traditional owners regarding the future of the site. The focus is and continues to be on Chibukai's employees and supporting them with a comprehensive career transitioning, including training, mentoring and job placement. 
Mr Hudson, who said he stepped away from Chapukai in 2009, wants to see the future of the 26-acre block reflect the cultural strength of the park's history. I hope that whatever goes there next, it's a place of cultural relevance, reverence. We keep that culture alive, he said. Not just for Jubogai mob, but for the rest of the community, the rest of Australia. Yes, so that's what's happening up there at the moment. I suppose it uh, illustrates the importance of giving actual control over land to Aboriginal people instead of... Like trusting Companies, it to, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, IBA is a government agency. Is it? Yeah, I just ah. searched it up. It's a government oh, okay. thing that works with to like support indigenous businesses. Oh, okay. Well, but either way, it looks like they kind of screwed up there. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, traditional landowners, the traditional owners of the land should have um, had a lot more to say in that, and things might have gone very differently because it doesn't look like many people are very happy. Yeah, yeah that. It's, it's, it's like, this is why we say land back. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So you can't trust, to put power, to put control into the hands of a minority of people. It has to be with the people who are, like, affected by those positions. Yes, yeah, it can't be corporations or government, because they just put profit first, as we see time and time again. And now it is time to jump into some workers' action. What's happening around Mianjin? Yeah, so we've got a story here from the RTBU, who say that Brisbane City Council has hit a new low. Friday lunchtime, Brisbane City Council made the decision to send all high-risk bus drivers home for three days. This is in line with the pandemic response from the middle of last year. Council also requested the immediate wearing of masks at all times on council property. Friday night, council started contacting those at-risk drivers sent home earlier that day on the previous stand-down arrangements. The drivers were told that the pay arrangements they thought were in place would no longer apply and they would have to access their own personal leave entitlements. Some drivers have advised us... Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, some drivers have advised the RTBU they were even threatened that if they did not come to work on Monday, they had better have a medical certificate. For shame. All the while, a majority of council workers have been stood down on full pay during this lockdown. The rest will be working from home. The big, this, the big, the, the question begs to be asked here: Are we all in this together? The decision to exempt bus drivers was made by the executive management team. The team is a composite of divisional managers and Lord Mayor Adrian Schrinner. The decision to exempt bus, driver, bus driver reasoning is that there is no significant increase in risk. What? How does that work? <laughs> Council closed all their facilities, services and events, including the quiet room, gym access and TV rooms at all bus depots. It is about time our hard-working drivers receive the same respect afforded all other Brisbane City Council workers. Well, that doesn't make much sense to me. You think bus drivers would be a pretty high risk of, you know, they're <laughs> coming into contact with lots of people. <laughs> yeah, public transport is like one of the main factors of yeah. transmission. Get get your crap together, Brisbane City Council. Goodness me, pay pay your bus drivers. Look after them. We they're essential workers. We need our bus drivers. Yes, and they deserve to be paid, if, especially if they're forced to go home. That's just crap. All right, on to our next story. Uh, middle-aged Australians struggle to claw back their careers after COVID-19. 
Who is going to hire a woman in her 50s? It's a question Tracy Ward has been asking herself a lot lately. The 56-year-old is a self-employed life coach for women, but has seen her income dry up due to the pandemic. She's surviving off JobKeeper payments, but when the subsidy is scrapped in March, Miss Ward is afraid she will really struggle. She knows she could get some sort of work. There are organisations like Bunnings, who hire people of all ages, she said, but she wants something different for herself and fears the lack of attention from the federal government on her age group could signal the end of her career. While the government has focused on the high levels of youth unemployment born out of the pandemic, middle-aged, mid-career workers say they have been forgotten. The unemployment rate for Australians over 40 years old was 3.8% in January 2020 and grew to 5.2% in July before recovering slightly to 4.7% by October. Some of those stuck unemployed say they are dumbing down their resumes to appear less threatening to potential new employers. Others, like Miss Ward, wish funding could be funnelled into upskilling rather than hiring incentives based on age. If you're 40 plus and a woman, you just don't get a job. And yeah, this is this just really conflates the issue which we're already experiencing in this country with um, older women who are ending up homeless, I think. Um, and yeah, the ageism is a big problem in this country. I believe, um, and the fact that these women are having to dumb, dumb down their resumes. I was reading that a lot of employers don't want to um, employ older, highly skilled workers because they're worried about making waves within the workplace. I'm not entirely sure how that works, but uh, it's a concern anyway. <laughs> you'd think that you'd want to hire higher highly skilled people, but I'm not a boss, so I don't know how they think and how they work. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, I think our government really needs to pay a bit more attention to to that. Um, and yes, let's just do a quick COVID update for Mianjin. So the COVID-19 three-day lockdown ended at 6pm last night for the Brisbane, Ipswich, Logan City, Moreton Bay and Redlands area. However, restrictions on visits to hospitals, aged care, disability accommodation and prisons will remain. Until 22nd of January, masks should still be worn, including in hospitals and aged care facilities, shopping centres and supermarkets and on public transport. Mask wearing is not required in your own home or in your own vehicle. So if you're leaving the house, make sure you have a mask. I'm pretty sure children under 12 don't have to wear masks. Don't quote me on that. Look it up. It'll be on the council website or something. But yeah, take your mask. And another thing I was reading is if when you're taking your mask off, just to act like the front of your mask is covered in paint and you don't want to get any paint on your fingers. Yeah, so just take it off carefully from behind your ears and don't touch the front of it. And especially be careful because if you're putting it on and taking it off, yeah, that's a, that's a little concern of mine anyway. Just stay safe, people. Yes. <laughs> I suppose the thing is, like, you don't have to follow restrictions exactly. Well, I mean, you do have to. But, like, don't, you don't have to, like, be aware of every restriction. Just use common sense. Yeah, like, common sense. If you're going into a room where, like, you'll be breathing and there's a bunch of other people there or even one other person there, put on your masks because you don't want to be spreading the disease. 
and like even if children under 12 don't have to if your child is willing to then like do that because children can still spread the disease oh yeah no that's that's true that's a good point i didn't mean don't put masks on kids under 12 (laughs) very small children um i know it's not a good idea to put it on them because they can they don't process carbon dioxide the same as adults so it can be quite dangerous to actually put masks on them but anyway if your child's a bit older and they're happy to wear a mask whack a mask on them and yeah just use common sense because this isn't over yet we've gotten quite complacent as we were talking about before jackson Mm. here in the engine um this is just a little reminder that we have to remain vigilant (laughs) so i do want to say on the way here i most pretty much all the people i saw were wearing masks so it's really good to see that yes yeah same here i've experienced the same thing everyone seems to be doing their best um yeah, so let's keep that up. Let's not become slack. And anyway, we ha- we have to wear masks until the end of till the twenty second of January and possibly longer. Uh, yeah, let's just be smart about it. Um, and last Thursday was check your payday. Did you get your overtime and public holiday rates? Watch out for wage theft, wage theft through the festive season. Make sure you check your pay slips and receive what you are entitled to for your holiday labour. Better yet, be sure to scrutinise your pay slips each and every pay period because ripping off of workers is prolific. In Australia, we have stories every week about workers being ripped off. Um, so that's why it's so important once again to join your union, check your pay slips talk to your workmates organize in the workplace just revolt let's just let's just revolt that that sounds good <laughs> skip to that <laughs> um in the meantime do these little things just to make sure you're covered and yeah it's all worth it in the end all right let's jump to a workers action story hey what have we got yeah so uh while the federal government indulged in semantics covid 19 deaths continued to rise in the woefully underprepared residential aged care sector 2020 was a horror year for older people living in residential aged care australia has one of the highest rates in the world in residential right highest rates in the world of deaths in residential aged care as a proportion of total covid 19 deaths a recent senate inquiry senate inquiry noted that Deaths in aged care homes account for 74.6% of all deaths from COVID-19 in Australia. Many of these deaths could have been prevented had the federal government prepared the aged sector for the pandemic. In the months since the first outbreak in aged care, the government has indulged in semantics and repeated attempts to shift the blame. Aged Care Minister Richard Colbeck told a Senate, Senate estimates hearing he did not feel responsible for any of the deaths. And while Prime Minister Scott Morrison has has admitted that aged care is a Commonwealth responsibility, his government washed its hands of any responsibility for the deaths of the 655 people who died in Victoria. Morrison has repeatedly expressed sorrow at the deaths, but won't accept any blame, arguing instead that the widespread community transmission in Victoria was the main reason so many people died. In a delightful word salad to confuse, Morrison said, Well, public health, we regulate aged care, but when there is a public health pandemic, then public health, which, whether it gets into aged care, shopping centre, school, or anyone else, or anywhere else, and they are things that matter for, for Victoria, so I don't think it is as binary as you suggest. What? It's <laughs> my, my lovely Scott Morrison. I love, I love that. That's good. <laughs> 
Yet the fact that far more residents of for-profit homes are infected with COVID than residents of Victorian state government-owned homes is surely a guide that more factors were in play than just community transmission. Moreover, as has been noted over many years, Morrison is highly skilled at deflecting responsibility. In a, refer- in a feature for the monthly two years ago, political commentator Sean Kelly's profile of the Prime Minister was headlined, The, ri- the Rise, Dusk, Duck and Weave of Australia's No-Fault Prime Minister. As Kelly noted, events occur, but Morrison's involvement is passive, tangential, almost accidental. The older people who died of COVID were partners, siblings, parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, and friends. And I'll add to that, just human beings who deserve to live. Their deaths highlighted the systemic failures in the aged care sector and the federal government lack lack of planning for community transmission during the pandemic. The Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety confirmed that the federal government did not have a specific pandemic plan for the aged sector. There is a clear need for a defined, consolidated national aged care COVID-19 plan. I hate when they do that, these pollies. They just say things it doesn't answer the question and it doesn't make any sense it's like it's so trump-esque but i suppose a lot of people are doing it before trump trumps are just the worst it's like what are you even saying right now (laughs) so yes go my get together man like at least answer some questions i mean that's how you maintain power over an entire country as just a small group of people you put uh, introduce confusion and yeah make sure that nobody can actually understand who you are or what you do because otherwise because if they did that then they'd get rid of you exactly (laughs) and if they're not doing this with their word salads they're just having digs at each other i don't know that's one of the things i hate about this whole two-party system the most is they just have digs at each other all the time it's like come on man just yeah i mean do your jobs (laughs) (laughs) that's another function of like keeping power if you can just there's this other person who you can constantly blame and you can also divide the population into these two groups and you can constantly have people attacking each other and the other party instead of the whole system itself. Yes, very well explained, Jackson. Thank you. Yeah, it's gross. So now we've got, we're going to move on to some more workers' action and we've got a pretty exciting story from Christmas Island and this is from Abolition Media Worldwide. Uh, do you want to read it out? Oh, sure. Thank you, comrade. So, immigrant prisoners at the Christmas Island Detention Centre set buildings ablaze in an uprising under the slogan, Enough is Enough, last Wednesday. They are burning the roof. They are sick and tired of being treated like SHIT, a man said during a live video of the uprising. Grievances from prisoners have increased following a lack of contact from family and visitors after moving from mainland Australia amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Prisoners are being locked in their compounds 22 hours a day with no access to green space and miserable conditions of imprisonment. The refugees who started the uprising are among the 240 people recently transported to Christmas Island from the Australian mainland people facing up to the possibility of indefinite detention within a labyrinthine system specifically designed by the Australian government as a mechanism of torture. At least two prisoners scaled the building and managed to gain access to the roof while others lit fires. 
Yeah, this is pretty exciting to see people fighting back inside the detention centers. It's very exciting and good on them. Like 22 hours a day without no access to like grass. Oh, I'd, yeah. Outside. Who can blame yeah. them? I'd be bloody lighting fires as well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so good on them for fighting back. Unfortunately, when you're in Christmas Island, the best you can do is make it to the beach, which is why they require us to fight back for them, which is a sad situation. So as many Australians are not willing to fight for people other than themselves. Yeah, because the media and the government have taught them that the other is scary and bad and we need to protect our precious white values here in Australia. <laughs> so, um, yeah. thankfully, I'm pretty sure most of our listeners would not be falling for that crap. Yeah, but if you see, if, you, if hearing of this makes you want to help f- fight with them against the... I guess the oppression they're facing, then, like, the best way to do it, I think, is to talk with your union or, like, even organise within your union uh, away from the bureaucracy because the best way to put pressure on the system is to strike or slow down or make some sort of disruption in your workplace uh, to, like, say, hey, if (laughs) if you don't respect these people's like dignity and freedom then we're gonna shut shit down yes exactly (laughs) and i think it's also really important just to talk to your family and friends about it if you're at a barbecue and your racist uncle bob's there (laughs) and he's putting crap on um these these people these poor people stuck in these um horrible places or just you know just being a racist ass in general then if it's safe to do so then call them out we need to change this this discourse within Australia, which says that anybody you know is coming from another country, be they Muslim or just not white in general, then they're less deserving of basic human rights. Yeah, let's start really start a big conversation around the country and just get rid of it. It's twenty twenty one, as they say, like we're all we're not all in the same boat. We're in the same storm. Some of us have yachts and some of us have little dinghies and it's yeah important we help each other the storm is neoliberalism i reckon anyway (laughs) (laughs) just capitalism just capitalism yeah Yeah. so uh, when i say like you should go and strike uh obviously if you just (laughs) do it within your workplace you'll probably just get fined to shit because political strikes are illegal so this is the kind of thing that um, plus, yeah, a single workplace wouldn't put enough pressure on the government to change that policy. This is the kind of thing that requires something more like a general strike, which is uh, like both it puts enough pressure to actually change stuff and also you are able to protect yourself because you can simulta- simultaneously put on the pressure to uh, leave yourself uh, without like consequences, legal consequences of your action. That's That's always a like a condition with every single general strike you have to put the condition that if we will not end the strike until we uh uh told um, until we're guaranteed that we'll not face like legal action for doing this yeah good advice comrade that's wonderful advice all right um and we also have a story coming out of a prison in new zealand yeah so now we're moving on to some international workers action and 
This is also from Abolition Media Worldwide. On Sunday, following a tense six-day standoff, 16 prisoners involved in protesting appalling conditions at New Zealand's Waikaria prison surrendered to authorities. Five of the 21 men who started the protest had already given themselves up. The men had climbed onto the roof of a prison block and caused significant damage, including by starting fires. Authorities responded with brutal measures. On December 31st, three days into the protest, News Hub cited an, an anonymous source who said negotiators from the corrections department were withholding food and water in a bid to starve out the prisoners. A claim echoed in other media outlets. The same source said prisoners had accused armed officers of trying to storm them during the night. Prisoners were demanding improved com- conditions at Waikaria, which was built in 1911 in the Oto. Otorohunga district and is one of the most run-down and unsanitary prisons in the country. The protesters alleged that they were being made to wait months for medical treatment and to wear the same dirty clothing also for months. As well, they complained about the poor quality of drinking water. A statement posted on social media by People Against Prisons Authoria reportedly issued by the prisoners also stated we have no toilet seats we eat our kai which means food out of paper bags right next to our open shared toilets we are maori people forced into european systems prisons do not work prisons have not worked for the generations before they keep doing this to our people and we have had enough there is no support in prison no rehabilitation nothing Waikaria exemplifies the brutal situation that exists throughout the prison system. A report issued by Ombudsman Peter Boucher in August 2020 noted that two-thirds of Waikaria's population were Maori. Indigenous people make up around 15% of New Zealanders, but they are far more likely to be incarcerated, which is something that is very closely mirrored here in Australia. The majority of Maori are among the most exploited members of the working class. Yeah, as you said, it's the same story around the world, <laughs> really, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah this, can, this is horrible. I didn't know there was such a horrible prison over just over the ditch there. Um, and, yeah, as they said, prisons don't work. We know this. It's basic psychology, really, like mm. the fact that we still... Well, that depends on what you're trying to use them for. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, for rehab- rehabilitation... And for, you know, stopping from people from re-offending, then obviously it's completely useless. <laughs> it's, turn, it's turn, just turning into a cash cow, as we've seen in the States. And yeah, I mean, it's well, they work great for providing profit for capitalists, which yeah. is really <laughs> yeah, yeah. what their intended purpose is. Yeah, yeah. We're just told it's to stop, to rehabilitate people and stop them from re-offending. But yeah, um, that's absolute bullcrud. Yeah, but and and but in response, prisoners are standing up. You had twenty-one prisoners fighting back, and like, yeah, uh, rioting, I guess. And uh, the the, the uh, title of the article is Six Day Riot at Waikaria Prison in New Zealand Destroys Prison," which is probably a bit more um, a bit of an embellishment, but it does make yeah. it sound a lot more exciting. <laughs> it does. It's, a, it's an exciting title, and by the sounds of it, this prison was already very run <laughs> down, so maybe it'll yeah. force them to upgrade. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's not a, it's not a bad thing. get a bit better. Yeah, um, well, if, with, hopefully there's enough people talking about it. That's what I think. I think is so important with issues like this is you just need public attention. 
um, on these stories just so we know that this kind of stuff is happening so that we can force change together. Yeah, so we're on to our second story, and this is our third story from one of the Queen's colonies, this time from Canada. And it is also about the imprisonment of Indigenous people. So yeah, a, bit a bit of a trend going today. <laughs> yeah. So hun- this is about a hunger strike at Saskatoon Correction Centre. People imprisoned at Saskatoon Correction Centre and Pine Grove Correctional Centre have been on hunger strike. Saskatchewan has one of the highest incarceration rates of Indigenous people, with around 75% of prisoners being Indigenous. A letter written by Pine Grove Correctional Centre prisoner Carmen Cardinal Noah Pope reports that inmates are not provided with clean masks. One prisoner used old masks to create a streamer and was told to take them down. Another inmate asked for a mask and was told by a guard to wear one from the streamer of used masks, (laughs) the letter alleged. They're told to buy their own masks. The Pope's letter also accused guards of only bringing one item when inmates asked for a broom, mop and a cleaner. The Pope writes in the letter that her unit, which is the Unit 2 dorm unit, is referred to as the forgotten unit of the orphanage. In addition, prisoners had to stand outside while guards took away their feminine hygiene products, clothes, pillows, and blankets. The hunger strike is supposed to last three days, and after that, is up to it is up to the prisoners to decide what they want to do. It started with Corey Charles Cardinal, a prisoner at Saskatoon Correctional Centre. Cardinal was taken to segregation unit for starting this hunger strike. Prisoners at Saskatoon Correctional Centre are aware of that alleged situation at Pine Grove and that is part of their motivation behind the strike. Fifteen people at Pine Grove and 48 of Saskatoon are participating in the hunger strike. Community actions transpired throughout the week. So yeah, I guess this is part of the um, like general wrath, uh, I don't know, um, the path of destruction that COVID is wreaking through prisons in uh, in like North America and other places, and people are, and they just don't care about the prisoners, but the prisoners are themselves fighting back. Yeah, and good on them. And to me, it's really like these three stories just really speak to like an ongoing legacy of colonialism and racism. Hmm. And yeah, I think in the age that we're in, I think people are kind of getting a bit more clued on about what's going on. Like, I can't remember learning anything about colonialism in high school. Granted, I dropped out a little bit early, but, yeah, kids these days are switched on, so that's good. So let's let's keep hearing these stories and just see, like, this is colonialism, this is racism, um, this is bullcrap. <laughs> <laughs> let's abolish the prisons and... Just stop doing this to people. Uh, and we've got some time to fill, so I'm going to read out a letter by Corey Charles Cardinal, who is incarcerated at Saskatoon Correctional Centre. So uh, this is all a quote from the uh, letter. Dear Advocates, I speak on behalf of a generation of young lost Aboriginal warriors surviving in a postmodern day institution of colonial suppression that has unjustly labelled us as criminals and thieves as part of a 154 year long campaign to diminish our identities as protectors of our people. 
With this architecture of oppression, we are a vibrant community of strong, intelligent brothers who eat together, wrestle and play together, and protect each other from a system that has exploited us. The system is rooted in a dominant mainstream society voter base that has, over 154 years, cultivated prejudice values to elect a biased government that has reduced us to surviving on watered-down peanut butter sandwiches. It is true that it is true we have been targeted as Aboriginal men by a racist system. Despite this epidemic of incarceration, our resilient community of modern Aboriginal warriors has survived by will and created ambition to prevail over an, over an enemy of poverty, addiction, and racism to find community and belonging and acceptance in this mainstream model of humanity. It is not by our own standards, for we are an oppressed people. The cycle of systemic oppression must be broken and must be recognized for what it is, a modern-day act of genocide meant to eradicate a vulnerable people. We are inmates of not only institutions of incarceration, but every other institution that has dominated us for years. We are inmates of poverty, of high suicide rates, of disease, and of over-representation in the justice system. The current events surrounding COVID-19 outbreak in provincial prisons is an example of the failure to protect vulnerable people in their care, an example of a 154-year-old tradition of ignoring the needs of vulnerable people in their power to protect, which must not go unrecognised. The cycle of systemic oppression must be broken and must be recognised for what it is. Oh, wait, did I just read that? I don't know. It's important. Read it again. <laughs> <laughs> the cycle of systemic oppression must be broken and must be recognized for what it is, a modern-day act of genocide meant to eradicate vulnerable people. We humbly appeal to the intelligent, educated minds that are more suitable and equipped in logic and law to employ and unite conversations in conversations and inquiry into the epidemic of incarcerations, overuse of remand, over-incarceration of Aboriginals, and prevalent structure of colonialism to mount a defense against the systemic oppression that has tortured our dignity and lives. Please include us in your model of humanity. On behalf of a generation of young lost Aboriginal warriors, Corey Charles Cardinal, advocate with the inmates. That was beautifully written. One thing that really stands out to me is the um, reference to systemic oppression and something we're seeing over and over again during this pandemic is vulnerable people um copying it the worst and under the system that we live that's inevitable <laughs> mm. i think there's going to be no other way and there's really this pandemic has really highlighted that um and hopefully shown a lot of people that that um it's never going to work in favor of vulnerable pe vulnerable people um unless we actually you know overthrow the system really and I, I think we should just kind of start again which is a lot easier said than done um but you know vulnerable mi minorities are going to keep suffering and it's going to keep getting harder and COVID-19 I think is just the start really because you know they've attributed a lot of it to what to the clearing of land and um that's going to keep continue unchecked under capitalism and um, there'll be more viruses popping up, no mm -hmm. doubt, in the future and more poor people dying and suffering. And Anyway, I'm not sure where I'm going. I'm kind of rambling <laughs> now, but those are, those are just my thoughts <laughs> yeah. on the topic. 
And one thing that especially stuck out to me is how this letter could have easily been written by an indigenous person in this continent or a Maori person. It's like the systems are very... uh, It's a global system and it acts similarly everywhere you go. And uh, that's how we can find solidarity. Uh, We're all oppressed in a similar way and by the same system and we can all unite together to fight back against it. That's a beautiful message of hope, Jackson. I hope we can do that. (laughs) I really, really honestly do. So... Where are we? Jackson, what are we doing? We're going to read out some uh, upcoming events. Oh, this one's exciting. Yeah, so we've got the very exciting Invasion Day rally coming up, obviously on January 26th. And the speech starts, the speeches start at 10am and it's going to be at Queen's Garden and uh, followed by a march to Musgrave Park. It starts at 10.30am, I believe, but they never start, yeah, I'd say more like 10.45. <laughs> they never seem to start on time. Yeah, but so um, Don't it, worry too much about arriving late unless you want to listen to all the speeches. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> yes, and then, yeah, the march over to Musgrave Park and there's food and entertainment over there. And um, this is always a really important one to get along to is always a amazing turnout for the invasion day rally yeah they're always growing bigger and after the black lives matter movement last year i expect that this one might be bigger than any others yes so if you get a if you love a good rally and you want to support um first nations australians and stick your finger up to australia day what a load of crap that is then make sure you're at Queen's Garden on January 26th instead of at your racist Uncle Bob's barbecue. <laughs> yeah. And here's a fun thing which I learned recently is that uh, ev- Australian citizens are titled to request an Australian flag from their local members. <laughs> so if you're looking to do to play with fire a little bit <laughs> you can, and you don't want to spend money on an Australian flag, you can get one for free. Just... <laughs> Not that we're encouraging that kind of thing, but we want you to be creative, you know. What can you do with this flag? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so just, we'll see just, you there. Just keep it on the down list. So, yeah, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a patriot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and make sure you get along. Um, we'll be there. All the workers' power crew will be there, I'm sure. We always are. I'll be there with my kids and my partner. And, yeah, it'll be an amazing day. The energy is always just fabulous um another event our comrades the disgruntled taxpayers and marsha and the martians have postponed their gig at banshee's bar and art space ipswich i believe that was supposed to happen last friday um it's oh no it's been postponed from the 23rd ah never mind it's been postponed from the 23rd of january to the 6th of february Uh, More details will follow. And we know Bill is really looking forward to this one. So stay tuned to Workers' Power for more details. I'm sure he'll have something to say about it before the 6th of February. 
Yeah. And we seem to be getting in quite early on this event, but the May Day Rally. Why not? Let's hype up the May Day Rally. It's a while away, but come on, people. <laughs> It'll be happening on May 3rd, so it's a public holiday and you can bet your bottom dollar we will be there. We will be there. So anyway, just mark it in your diary, comrades. Um, put a little notification in there for a couple of days before. That's what I like to do. And then you'll know you won't, you'll have time to make your... Make your placard and know what you're going to wear. And <laughs> oh, you wear your union shirt. Well, you got to pick which union shirt. Well, Bill will anyway, because how many unions are you a member of? Like <laughs> well, 12 or something? Nah, maybe uh, not. <laughs> for an Australian services union. Yeah, yeah, I know that. And and the IWW. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so three. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a member of two. That's enough for now, I think. Um, but, yeah, you can't beat Bill. He's... Just a union freak, which isn't a bad thing. We love you, Bill. We know you're listening to us. <laughs> Hope you're having a good day. <laughs> uh, what else have we got for events? On the 21st of January, a special solidarity action will be held to support sacked and cell workers in Sri Lanka. We encourage you to find more about the campaign by exploited workers for recognition, reinstatement and fair pay. Please join the online action with, the, with Australia Asia Workers Link links workers change the world at www.aawl.org.au nice so there's some stuff happening um fingers crossed luckily um the current restrictions are ending on the 22nd um but i still encourage people going to the invasion day rally to mask up um, yeah, if you course. can. I mean, hopefully you've been wearing masks to all the events this year, even if it has been pretty low on COVID. Yeah, well, we've had pretty good practice. I think yeah. most people going to stuff like this have been really good about it. All the hand sanitizer and masks going around. So, um, yeah, make sure you wear a mask along to that one, even though you're not technically and technically have to. I think it's a good idea. Um, yeah, let's remain vigilant and hopefully... We don't get any more cases and things can be relatively normal. We don't have to be locked down because that could put a bit of a dampener on these events. Um, All right, so it is time for Scallywag of the Week. Um, A memo was shared to staff at the restaurant chain Ribs and Burgers, which described speaking languages other than English at work as disgusting and threatened disciplinary action for anyone doing so. The memo was circulated in November via discussion group for senior staff members on WhatsApp. In the correspondence addressed to Teams, a a senior New South Wales company representative said he had the unfortunate task of raising the issue after four reports were received in different restaurants. The chain, which has 12 branches in New South Wales, is operated by South African-owned Seagrass Boutique Hospitality Group, which runs a number of high-profile restaurant franchises in Australia. The memo continued by labelling the speaking of other languages by staff as disgusting and disrespectful, and that it speaks completely against our seagrass culture of togetherness. Be warned, native language speaking will not be tolerated anymore, it said, while calling on managers to stamp this out and treat occurrences of this with immediate disciplinary action. The nature of the disciplinary action was not explained and the memo was signed off with the words zero tolerance. 
A long-time Ribs and Burgers employee said he was shocked to read the memo along with other restaurant staff. How does banning staff from speaking their native languages with each other fit in with the culture of togetherness, he said. The employee estimates that the majority of the chain's staff members come from multicultural and linguistically diverse backgrounds. We thought the memo was weird, but there's nothing we could do about it for fear of repercussions, he said. United Workers' Union National Council member Gamal Babika said businesses have an obligation to respect their employees' multicultural, multicultural, ethnically and linguistically diverse backgrounds. This type of discrimination is extremely dangerous and shows a lack of respect for multicultural Australia. Everyone has the right to speak their native tongue. As United Workers' Union... We deliver messages in multiple languages and no one is ashamed of our, back, of our multicultural and linguistically diverse backgrounds. For this, owner Bradley Michael earns our scally wag of the week. Shame on you, Bradley Michael. Yeah, it's uh, pretty. <laughs> they say that's pretty disgusting to say that speaking languages other than English is disgusting. Yeah, it's I mean, yeah, like it's basically saying that the the languages themselves are disgusting, and yeah, mm. that's the way it reads to me. Um, yeah, that's really grubby behaviour from these people. Um, hopefully, they're getting the backlash that they deserve. Yeah, I mean, it's in the news and it sounds like the United Workers' Union is on it. Yeah. Always doing good stuff. You'd think they'd know better than to do <laughs> this. Like, come on, man. <laughs> what are you thinking? They just think they can get away with it. They're a bit ahead of themselves, obviously. Hopefully this has brought them back down to ground. Anyway, yeah, that name again. It's also, like, a su- way far overreach of, like, the powers of the boss in the workplace yeah. to determine how colleagues communicate with each other. Exactly. Like, what are they... What's the big concern? That's what I want, like... Unionising. <laughs> <gasps> yeah. <laughs> Maybe it is. Oh, well, it's bloody good on them, if that's the case. <laughs> Bradley Michael, shame on you. It's just, yeah, grubby, racist behavior i mean it's probably i doubt they thought they were unionizing it's mostly yeah, yeah. They, don't want <laughs> to, cool, they don't want to lose business from racists who get discuss who themselves get disgusted at people speaking languages other than english like, yeah yeah like they um i mean like the thing is in rep- is in response to reports presumably from customers who yeah that was the beginning went, of the story yeah uh, i don't want to have people other than me different from me in places where i exist and obviously re- as a business which is um motivated by profit and not by like <laughs> respect for human freedom and dignity they capitulated and said hey if you <laughs> if you don't speak if you speak something other than english then you're fired i mean mm. uh, that's what it sounds like basically not yeah no you're right that is what that is what it sounds like all right so that's our scallywag of the week um make sure you stay tuned because that we have brisbane lines coming up next to let you know what's happening in and in around mianjin um and we'll be next back next week hopefully Everything is relatively normal and the three of us will be able to be in the studio together. Um, I'm sure you're all missing Bill and his energy. (laughs) 
Um, I think we've done pretty well without him this week, though, Jackson. Where except for that little little hiccup <laughs> a few minutes ago, forgot how to how to make the songs play. Anyway, no one noticed, did they? Nah. <laughs> 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 I'll just edit it out of the edited version. Oh, thank you. Which that is available at theworkersout.blogspot.com. If you don't have time to listen to a two-hour show, it's cut down to around one hour. Yeah, they just <laughs> want to listen to us talk anyway. Like, come on. <laughs> we play some great music, but it's all about us and this amazing, well, not so amazing, the important workers' actions and stories um, that we bring Sometimes amazing workers' actions, yeah. Yeah, there's good ones and there's, yeah, they're Such all important. the riots at New Zealand, that was pretty great. We love the riots. There's lots of, yeah, there's <laughs> lots of riots happening around at the moment. Um, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, we'll be back next week bringing you more stuff and so make sure you stay tuned and we will see you then.